0: To the world of digital sound. Hey guys, how you doing? This is Ken. This is the Ken Burton Show podcast story. Um guys, it's it's really funny how um you know, you can <laughs> you can see something and it takes you back to a place and um that recently happened and I thought, now that's a story I've never told. And there are there are reasons why I've never told this one cuz I've thought about it. It's it, It's because of a conflict really in me that I I was never very sure about. I I learned a lot about myself during this time. But let's let's take you back to uh qualifying where we are with this. Okay, this podcast story may or may not be true. It is up to you, the listener, to decide whether or not you think it is or isn't And put your comments in the comment section on the video intro that will be on my YouTube channel, The Ken Burton Show. And uh, all characters are fictional unless stated otherwise. Okay, there you go. That's the qualifier. I'm sucking on a mint. (laughs) Good time to start a podcast. I'm sucking on a fucking mint. Hold on. Mm. Oh, God, pause this. And then (laughs) I'll pause this, eat the mint, and I'll come back. Still there? Good. Uh, Had to throw it away. So. Okay, so uh, where do I want to start with this? Christ. um, This was perhaps, I think it was more towards the end of our career, if you like, of um, uh, collecting cars and doing cut and shuts and doing favours for the boys in Coventry. And uh, guys, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then seriously, you you need to go and listen to some of the other podcasts. Uh, a very, very quick recap is that, you know, there was a time in my youth when I was um, uh, making a living via repossessions, via doing people favours, um, mainly the families that ran the city at the time and uh i was kind of the if you think of us as an army i was very much on the lower end of the scale (laughs) i was (laughs) probably um probably just above private i would have thought (laughs) and there were lieutenants and you know commanders and captains and people, but I was very, very low down the scale. So there's a quick recap. Those of you who have heard these before will know this. Okay. So, uh, right. I want to take you, I'm going to have to change his name. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about a guy called Michael. Okay. That wasn't his name, but I'm going to talk about Michael. Now, who was Michael? Michael was a little bit older than me, I think. Um, I didn't really... I can't say as I knew him. I knew of him. He was um, very much in with the in-crowd as as far as the families were concerned. Um, I think he worked for a while as a driver for one of them. And I think he only got into where he was because uh, I think his brother was something in one of the other families, and when he moved to Coventry, uh, it was asked that, you know, a favour be done, and uh, this guy basically got fairly in with the in crowd. I mean, you know, he was a useful bloke. He was, you know, six foot, um, fairly stocky. I wouldn't call he wasn't fat by any means, Uh, quite a fit guy um, from a fitness point of view, I don't mean good looking, I mean fitness point of view, mind you, he was a good looking lad, um, and, you know, he was a very capable guy, he knew the, uh, right end of a shotgun, and, uh, you know, I can't say as I ever actually spoke to him, I don't think I ever actually spoke to him, anyway, so, um, <laughs> something happened with Michael, that, kind of got me conflicted, but it it also got everyone else conflicted. And what happened was, Michael got together with uh, the daughter of one of the boys. And uh, it wasn't really going down extremely well uh, with... A lot of people, and I, I mean, the family. All right, the, I'm talking about the family. Half of the family kind of embraced him because it was the daughter's choice. The other half of the family thought he was, um, I don't know, he wasn't the right man. But who would be? I mean, who would be? You've got, you've got like this millionaire bloody crook, and you know, then you've got. Multi-millionaire crook. And then you've got his immediate son. And it was his daughter that had set up with Michael. I think Michael worked as her driver for a while. uh, While she was at some school or other. But I mean, uh, the the kids all went to uh, some really, really clever stuff. I mean, um, she went off to Switzerland to a finishing school. I remember hearing that. And uh, when she came back, I don't know what she was going to do, to be honest. I mean, there there was talk about her getting involved in uh, one of the legitimate sides of the family business, which was a, 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 I won't tell you the chain, but they had a chain of shops. And um, also they had a couple of other things going on as well at that time. And she she was getting involved in the business side of it. And I think Michael was her driver. Well, she had been set up in a flat in Coventry. Very nice place. And uh, I know there aren't that many kids. <laughs> but she was set up in a particularly nice flat. And um, she got together with Michael. Uh, I knew about it. I didn't give a shit about it. It was none of my fucking business. So, you know, what the hey. So I heard on this particular day from somebody that she was pregnant and uh i thought what do you fucking do i don't care it's not mine i don't care and um (laughs) then about three or four weeks after that there was all sorts of rumors and there was um there was a lot of uh how can i put this Ground-level requests to find out where Michael was. Has anybody seen Michael? And uh, it was very low-key. I mean, nobody put out an order to go and find the guy. It was very low-key. Can we go out and find Michael if, you know, he's around? Not can we go out and find him. If he's around, if you see him, can you phone this number? That sort of thing. And this went on for a couple of weeks and uh, the rumour mill then started uh, because she'd lost the kid. We know that she'd lost the kid and we knew that she was in hospital. And uh, she was in a private hospital in London and the family had moved her down there to recover from whatever, you know, this miscarriage or whatever. And we kind of figured, well, fucking hell, Michael's taken that hard if he's done a runner. And then it was probably, probably the best part of two, maybe three months after that that uh, we got a call, and we were all in the pub, and it was the pub that got the call, and one of the boys and one of the boys was asked to take the call. Now, this was one of the guys that was a lot higher up than I was. And uh, I saw him answering the phone at the bar. I didn't; I was too far away to hear what was going on. But he basically said to the barman to shut the jukebox off. And he sh- sh- <laughs> they shut the jukebox off, and he stood on a chair, and he said, Any of the boys in here... Um, Can I use this name? (laughs) Oh, God. What do we call this guy? Let's call him... I keep using the name Tommy. Let's use Tommy. Any of the boys in here, Tommy would like to see you in Fosal. Now. There's a meet. And by boys, he meant any of us, basically, who were... um, involved in had any contact with were slightly the wrong end of the law people that had worked for the family before because tommy was family and uh it meant us and i think you know had we have not gone it would have been frowned upon so we got in a motor went outside and, and bear in mind that this pub was full of us Right, this this was full of us I mean God knows what you'd have thought if you'd have just popped in for a drink that night <laughs> but uh, we went and right at the top end of Fozal was an industrial estate and that was where one of the warehouses were was, it's not now I know that for a fact, they built houses on it and uh, we all charged up to there usual story uh there was a gate two guys on it in suits it, they looked in the car see who we were and um, we were we were allowed in and the place was packed it was fucking heaving with cars all over the damn place and i remember saying to my mate that's fucking hell this place is busy And uh, it wasn't their style to keep any of the bank cars around for too long. So we knew it wasn't that. So all of these were people that had turned up for this meet. Well, we all went into the warehouse and we all stood around like lemons. And there's loads and loads of bottles of beer. And we all grabbed a bottle of beer. Had a fag. And then uh, about... Half ten. Must have been about half ten. The guy whose daughter had lost the baby. uh, Stood on a bunch of pallets. And he said. "Um, You all know me. You all know who I am. And you all know. Probably. Who. um, My daughter is. And then he said something to a guy at the office door. The door opened and she came out. I'd seen her a few times. She was nice. She wasn't very nice that night. Um... Her arm was in plaster. Her face looked like she'd had an argument with the back end of a bus and lost. She was even, you know, even at that point, and it must have been two months longer, maybe, since she'd lost the kid she was a fucking mess she was a mess but the bit that got me was the mark she got a mark that went from her left eye just underneath her nose and her top lip was disfigured And the guy on the stage helped his daughter to the stage. And he said, this is what Tommy did to my little girl. This is how Tommy treats women. And he said, I know what you're all thinking. You're all thinking, what a bastard. But there might be some of you out there who are thinking, well, I've had a row and it's gone too far. And then he said, let me tell you about that bastard. He kicked my unborn grandson, out of my daughter and left her for dead. And it, it was incredibly embarrassing for her to be there. You could just say, I mean, she was destroyed. She was fucking destroyed. And he said, there is now a bounty on this fucker's head. But we can't find him. And uh, he said, if you are interested in helping us find him, stay in the room. If you've got other things you need to be doing, and I totally understand. Not all of you are cut out for this sort of work. Then you can leave now and there will be no comeback. And uh probably thirty or so people left the room. And I guess there was about fifty of us left. And when the doors had finished closing and the fifty of us were stood in there. He said, all I want you to do is find him. I'll do the rest. And uh, he said that we've got some information on family uh, that he might go to, friends he might know. It's going to involve a few nights out, people. But trust me. This is going to put you in my good favours. And that is a place you wanted to be. Really. Genuinely. That guy owing you a favour. You were made. So anyway. He said. uh, I'll leave it now. To the boys. To uh, break you up into groups. And if you could check all these places out and report in to the various people that are giving you the areas to check and the addresses to check. And we'll tick them off as we go. And he said, any questions? And somebody said, what if he's gone abroad? And he just said, he hasn't. He hasn't he hasn't skipped because I've got every airport I've got every dock and I've got every possible means of getting out of this country covered and coming from someone like that I fucking believed him so anyway he just said last thing I just want to say Is thank you. Thank you. And then she said. Thank you. And you could tell. She could hardly fucking talk. But she got this whole top lip thing. Wired up. I don't know what the fuck he'd done to that. He beat the living fuck out of her. Really can't understand it. It's not as if it's not as if she could have fought back a lot. She wasn't particularly big, strong, or fucking know. Well, we finished that um talk and uh we were going to be talking to Dave. Uh and Dave gave us our area to go and cover. And our area was Norwich, and uh, he'd got some cousin in Norwich that he'd been known to stay with and we got an address and then there was two other friends. Uh, one of them was I think one of them was in Cambridge and another one was in Ipswich, so it was all the same area of the country. So we were given three addresses and uh we got ourselves into our group of four and we went off with our three addresses in our car now we set off on the saturday morning and uh didn't take long to get there i mean norwich from coventry it was what probably two three hours because we probably made a stop on the way And we turned up in Norwich and we followed the map and we found this address. Now, the first thing we were looking for was a car and definitely Michael's car wasn't there. And we checked the side streets and the back streets and the alleyways and his car wasn't there. So two of us went round the back, two of us at the front door. Uh, We knocked on the front door. A guy answered and we said we're looking for Michael. And uh, he said, uh, I haven't seen him. You know, I haven't seen him for months. Like, he, he came to visit me a few months back. I haven't seen him since. I said, have you heard from him, though? I said, no, um, which is weird. He said, because usually, you know, I might get a call from him once every couple of weeks or whatever. Uh, but, you know, I haven't heard from him. Family hasn't heard from him. Uh, so I don't really know what's going on. Why? And uh, we basically told him that we couldn't tell him. But we did tell him that here's a phone number. And if this guy contacts you, you are to phone this phone number. And he said, well, why the fucking hell should I do that? So said, because if we find out he's been here or been in contact with you and you haven't phoned this phone number, and then a gun got pulled from the back of my trousers... And I just didn't point it out to him. Just showed it to him. I said, you and my friend here are going to have a conversation. And you are going to come off very, very badly. And he was scared. And that was the idea. We scared him. Now, part of what we were doing as well was asking for any known addresses. Anybody, this guy could be anywhere near, you know, anyone that we didn't already know about. And this guy gave us a few contacts, and uh, we passed those back to Dave. And then we trotted off uh, back in the car, and we we sent ourselves off. I think we we went to Cambridge first, I think. And we had pretty much the same story in Cambridge. We didn't get to Cambridge until uh, late afternoon. And uh, we got the same story. And this guy in Cambridge was a guy that he'd uh, gone to college with Michael had gone to college with uh, when he was up north and this guy was shitting himself <laughs> he was just shitting himself he would have told us anything he would have grasped his fucking mother up you know, so we knew we kind of knew, during the time that uh, he knew nothing we checked his addresses, we made the threats moved on to Ipswich When we got to Ipswich, fuck, it was a dive. It was a council estate type place and a a bunch of flats that needed to be demolished, like the day after they were built. And why they didn't get demolished is absolutely beyond me. But pretty much I would say in the frame of mind that what we came across, uh, we were going to be able to deal with. And we came across it. We did the two round the back, two round the front. And as soon as we knocked on the front door, some fucker came running out of the back. He was grabbed. Piece was put to his forehead. And he was told to sit the fuck down. Uh, one of, another one of our guys went to the back door and covered it. And then we heard the shouting, so we pumped the front door in uh pieces pulled, and this flat consisted of, as soon as you opened the front door, there was a set of stairs going up. And uh, just to the right of that was a a corridor that led off to the kitchen. To the right was a door with the living room. So my mate stood at the front door, in case anyone came down the stairs. I went into the front room, and there's a guy there with a bat in his hand. Um, Fucking drugs everywhere. You could smell it. You could smell it before you got into the house. It was like drug dealers fucking paradise. And there was, I mean, not heavy drugs, but there was just weed everywhere, and the place stank, and it was fucking disgusting. And this guy with a little goatee beard and no moustache. I hate that. And he stood there with this uh, fucking bat. And he was like, stay away from me, motherfucker. Stay away. I've got to fucking do you, man. Stay away. And I said, look, calm down. We're looking for Michael. And he went, fuck off, man. Just fuck off. Get out of my fucking house. And he was just... He was doing one. So, anyway. He didn't seem to be bothered at the fact I had a gun pointed at his head. He didn't seem to care. He wouldn't drop the bat. So I thought, I'm going to fucking shoot this guy in the leg. (laughs) Because he was really annoying me. And he was a hippie druggie. And I fucking hate hippie druggies. (laughs) And, um... One of my mates come in from the back. And he said, the kitchen's clear. And uh, I said, right, keep your eye on this fucker. And I went upstairs. And there were three doors upstairs. Uh, four of them. If, <laughs> if you count the one that I was a bit of a twat at. But all the doors were closed. One of them was obviously a bathroom. And uh, I opened the bathroom door, nobody in there. I then uh, opened one door, which was a, a tiny little room, and nobody in there. Oh, and as I'm opening the doors, I'm pointing the gun, you know, doing a whole Starsky and thing. And fuck me, I opened this other door, and I... <laughs> it was the airing cupboard. <laughs> and a load of shit fell out as I opened the door shit myself oh god well i opened the, opened the next door and there's a, a guy in there lying in bed and i said uh, who the fuck are you and he went who the fuck are you <laughs> so i said uh, get you get up get downstairs so I pointed him downstairs and we got these two guys now in the front room and this one guy in the garden and uh, we're saying, right, we're looking for Michael. Where the fuck is he? And uh, one of them like, oh, yeah, I don't know fucking what you're talking about, Matt. I said, look, you either tell us where Michael is, when you last saw him, or we're going to just fucking do this place and we're going to leave it in such a mess you won't be able to live here afterwards. Never mind smoke your fucking drugs. And when we finish doing the house... We're going to start busting kneecaps. Well, anyway, one of these lads said, Fuck it, I am fucking this, fucking doing this. Um, I ain't heard from Michael, right, for about three weeks. And I thought, that's interesting, uh, because he's been missing for longer than that. Where did you last hear from him? He was in Great Yarmouth. So, what's he doing in Yarmouth? I don't know, he's fucking trying to work his ticket, apparently. Um,. Get a boat across the water or something. Right, okay, okay. Well, that's fair enough to me. That's fair enough. And we left these guys and we phoned it in. And Dave said, right, he said, you guys are the only people that have drawn any form of fucking info at all. We've got guys south. We've got guys southwest. We've got people in Wales. We've got people in fucking Scotland and we've got a team at the moment en route to Northern Ireland. And uh, we're like, fucking hell. And you're pulling nothing, absolutely nothing. Right, well, we've got him three weeks ago in Great Yarmouth, according to these druggies. And Dave said, uh, go for it. So go for it. Just get yourselves a BnB and b or whatever tonight. Uh, see what you can find out. Check it. Check the bars, restaurants, you know. See if you can find out if this guy's been seen or he's working or whatever. I said, but yeah, but Yarmouth is a big place, you know. Um it's gonna be quite a fucking pub crawl, especially if the guy doesn't want to be found. I said, yeah, I know what you mean, but you know, you try and find out what you can and uh phone me, you know, first thing in the morning. So we did, we went to Yarmouth and Christ, we got pissed. <laughs> we we went to every fucking pub. Oh man, we, it was like from pub to pub, and then we went uh, to the nightclubs and we were checking, you know, everywhere that we could to see if we could find this guy. And this particular nightclub we were in, fucking hell, we were out of it. I mean, we were just out of it. And then one of the guys we were with, he pulled. And so. <laughs> so oh I'm going to go back to her place huh? no you fucking ain't because you're going to stay with us yeah but I'm on for a definite shag no fuck it you ain't coming <laughs> oh dear we got back to our B&B uh, landlady was great brilliant brilliant landlady and uh, we phoned back to Dave the following morning we said look Dave we, we checked every fucking pub and he said, Well I've got something for you. I've got an address. And we were like, Oh brilliant. Um whereabouts is it? And he said, Well, uh it's not so much as a, an address as a kind of street. So, right, okay, so where's the street? And he said it's in a place called Hemsby. I thought well fucking where's Hemsby for fuck's sake? He said, No, it's not very far, it's just a few miles up the road from Yarmouth. Right, okay. So that's why, you know, they thought he was in Yarmouth. Well, fuck me, I mean, Norwich, the place we started, isn't very far away from Yarmouth. (laughs) We'd done all that driving and and done absolutely nothing. Anyway, we were given a street and uh, when we got to the street, we were going to phone in and see if they'd gained any more information on where this is. Um, We knew what uh, Mike was driving. And we pulled into this street. And we, we did the usual up and down the street. Couldn't find fuck And then fuck me if we didn't see him. Walking back down this street. With a paper under his arm. And a pint of milk. Well fuck it now. I mean we all got out of the car. And one of, one of us. One of the boys I was with, shouted. There he is. Oh you twat. <laughs> Michael. Throws the pint of milk at us, and he's he's on his legs, and he goes shooting off down this street. It was a, uh, you know, it's it's a residential street. There are cars either side, houses either side, normal people having normal lives, and a group of fucking armed thugs have just started running down this street with their guns pulled. I might add, and one of our number, decided it might be a good idea to fire a warning shot. Oh, for fuck's sake. His gun went off. And I thought, what the fuck are you shooting at? And uh, Michael carried on running. And then we ran even faster, because we knew at this point... That there's going to be armed police all over the fucking borough in about three seconds. So we went legging it back to the car. Fucking hell. We got in the car. Screech of brakes. Screech of wheels. And we're out of there. We're like four streets away. Alleyway. Dumped the car. Threw an alleyway into the next uh, uh, alley. And uh, it's, you know panic stations to get the fuck away so what we did see um was we saw a local set of shops and we thought well the best thing we can do is just lie low let's get behind these shops and we sat around the area of the wheelie bins as we listened to the fucking sirens going up and down the road and luckily in those days no police helicopter or if there was we weren't important enough to warrant it and um uh, we then dumped our jackets so that we weren't looking exactly as we did, just in case we'd been spotted, and uh, took a wander to the nearest phone box. We phoned in and reported that, you know, he was there. So, anyway, Dave said, Is that a definite? I said, Yeah, definitely. It was him. He's in Hemsby. He was wandering down this fucking road. I said, Right, okay. Uh, I'm going to get the area absolutely flooded. Every fucking road is going to be full of our people. He said, you guys hang tight. We'll get you another car on the way. And we'll get, you know, some backup. So, shit, mate. We were there probably two hours. And then the uh, first car came into this this little area around the back of these shops. And... uh, They'd got changes of clothes for us, um, they'd got another car for us, and, you know, we pointed pointing out the street that he was in, we'd already reported this, and the area was being absolutely flooded with people. And we then, you know, shot off back to Yarmouth, uh, because we'd been seen, and uh, it perhaps wasn't a good idea, they decided... For us to be, you know, to be on the streets. So we went back to Yarmouth. We checked back into our B&B. And we spent the night there. Following day, and we thought, well, I wonder if this fucker that we met down in um, uh, Ipswich. I wonder if he knew about this address in Hemsby. I wonder if he knew what that was about. 'cause he's supposed to be his mate. So we thought what'd be a good idea if we trotted off down and had another word with him. So anyway, we checked out the B and B, dived in the car, shot off down towards Ipswich. Now, we got into the same street we were in before, and we weren't there more than ten minutes, and there was activity going in and out of the house, there was druggies going in and out of the house. And uh you know, we thought, well, we don't know this time how many of these fuckers are going to be in there. We'd better lay low for a little while. And we stood around, oh, we sat around in this car, waiting. <laughs> and unbelievably, taxi pulls up. Michael gets out with a bag and goes towards the front door of this house. Well, what a stroke of fucking luck. So we thought... Fuck this. Let's just go and snatch him. So, well, let's phone it in first. Well, we don't want to phone it in yet. Let's snatch him and then we'll phone it in. So I said, right, let's go and do it. So anyway, we went to this house, two at the front door, two at the back. And this time we just burst. We just went in all fucking guns blazing, all kicks of doors and shit. Michael was there, gun at the back of his head, get the fuck on the floor. He went down. And we tied him up. Basically, we put his hands behind his back. The other two guys that were in there, uh, one of which was there the first time, he was the guy with the bat, had still got the fucking bat in his hand, or he's got the bat in his hand again, going, get out of my house, you fucking... So I hit the fucker with the side of this gun. He was really pissing me off. If he hadn't have been a hippie, I wouldn't have hit him. But... F- oh, God. <laughs> He didn't feel it anyway, it was off his tits. We took Michael out at gunpoint and we told him that if he even thought about fucking running, we were going to cap him. And he said that might be better than what you boys are taking me back to. So we put him in the car and we drove off. We stopped at a phone box and we phoned into Dave and we said, Dave, call off the dogs. He's in the back of our car. And he said to me, you fucking diamonds. How long till you get back? I said, three hours max. Right. He said, we'll be waiting. Here's the address. And it was an address I'd never seen before. And I thought I knew most of the warehouse addresses, but this one I'd never seen before. So I was right, okay. And then first hour on the journey back... We're saying to him, why the fuck did you do it? I mean, Michael, why did you do it? He said, I, I just lost the plot when I found out the kid wasn't mine. <laughs> what? And what makes you think the kid wasn't yours? So she fucking told me. Oh, Jesus Christ. Not only that but she was going to fuck off and go with the other bloke. Oh, Jesus. Right, okay. So, but that, I mean, that's no excuse to beat the fuck out of her. He said, lad, she did that to herself. Said, what? Fuck off. He said, she did. I'm telling you now, she did that to herself. He said, she stood at the top of the stairs and fucking threw herself down... And then she went in the kitchen and started banging her fucking head against uh, this bloody uh, tabletop. He said, to, you know, I said, well, look, we've got you, man, because we know she was in a flat. He said she was in one of these fucking uh, penthouse jobs. He said it's got like a ground floor to it and then it's got some stairs and then there's like a mezzanine balcony thing with the bedroom. He said she threw herself down those fucking stairs, down the wooden stairs. And he said, well, what about the scar going down the side of her face? He said, I'm telling you, like, she smashed herself into a fucking piece of glass, you know, that, that was, you know, in one of the doors. She fucking did it all herself, so said, well, you didn't hit her. He said, no, I didn't fucking touch her. I didn't go near her. She just went absolutely apeshit. He said, because I fucking lost it. And she then lost it and said that she was going to have me, you know, have her dad sort me out and all this lot. And when he finds out that his little girl's been beat up, he's going to go mad. And I said, well, I haven't beat you up. And so that's when she started fucking doing damage to herself. And I thought, Jesus Christ, man, that must be absolutely mental. Anyway, I listened to this for the best part of an hour. And then I listened to it again for the best part of another half an hour as we were asking questions. And then I thought, I should let him out of this car. (laughs) Because he really sounded convincing. He sounded really, really convincing to me. But I thought, shit, we've found Dave now. He's expecting us. And what are we are going to say? He got away. Fuck's sake. So we're dealing with the conscience of taking this back. And we parked up in rugby on the side of the road in a lay-by. And the four of us got out of the car. and We left Michael in the middle. And we started to talk about this. And a couple of the boys were saying... Ken, this ain't right. You know what's going to happen to him when we take him back. So what the fucking are we going to do? I mean, we either... We do that or we say he overpowered the four of us. Or he ran off and we couldn't fucking catch him. Either way, guys... We're going to get a fucking pounding if we don't take him back. So anyway... We decided that self-preservation was the course of action. It's not our fault. It's not our problem. Let him fucking explain it to the boys. Let him explain it to Tommy. So anyway. We took him back. And we got to this address. And this address was a lock-up. And again, it was on the industrial estate. And uh, it had a big, like, metal pull door. And this door opened. And we drove in. And Dave was there. Uh, A bunch of other guys were there. And they dragged Michael out of the car. And then put him in a chair in the middle of this fucking... Small warehouse type place. Industrial unit, I would have called it. Not that that matters. And we said to Dave, can we have a word? And Dave went, yeah, sure. So, took him in the office. And uh, we explained to him what he told us. What Michael had explained to us. And Dave just wouldn't believe it. Dave said, that's utter, complete bullshit. I can't see any fucking person doing that to themselves, ever. So, well, it is a bit long-winded, but fucking hell. If it's true, she has got some issues. And Dave said, yeah, but the truth isn't for me to find out. The truth is, you know, truth is... Tommy is to decide whether or not he wants to believe it. And he said, anyway, boys, when don't you hang around? Tommy's on his way. He wants to thank you personally. I said, okay. And he said, you know, anyone get bloodied in any of this? Says some fucking hippie in a bedsuit. Or oh, <laughs> oh, hippie in a house. Says he's the only one that took damage. I said, well, that's fair enough, he was a hippie. <laughs> About an hour later, uh, doors open. Tommy. And his daughter. And, uh Dave said to Tommy, can I have a quick word in the office, Tommy? And he... brought us into the office and uh, we told him um, Dave and us explained what Michael had said and uh, he then asked his daughter to come in the office and he just said to her turn around and he lifted her t-shirt and very disgustingly she had got a very very rough M scar right in the middle of her back I have no idea what he did that with No fucking idea. But this girl didn't damage herself. There's no way on this earth she could have made that scar. And then she put t t-shirt back down. And she turned to us. (laughs) Traumatised wasn't the word for it. Tommy said tell him what he said and she said he did that and said that you're my property and the next guy that fucks you needs to see my brand that way he'll know what happens Tommy said Michael had got it into his head that the kid wasn't his. Only because um, she had been going out, apparently, to see somebody, and she wasn't telling Michael. Where she was going and what she was doing. And she was lying about it. Michael had got it into his head. That she was seeing another bloke. And therefore the baby wasn't his. When in reality. She she was seeing a shrink. Because she was having trouble coping. (sighs) He's a convincing liar. I said to Tommy, whatever happens to this fucking blight now, he deserves every penny of it. I said, but I wouldn't mind a minute alone with him first. Tommy said, help yourself. So I did. Didn't use anything. And all I could see, as I was punching him, was that scar on the back. I must have... Must have taken out his teeth, bust his nose. He was seen the state of my hands afterwards. I think I broke one of my fingers or um, I definitely uh, I fractured it I think but I've got a scar on my right hand if you think uh, your middle finger on your right hand is broken up into three bits there's the tip the middle bit and then the end bit before it becomes the knuckle and even to this day I can still see it and if you ever meet me ask to see it. I've got a scar where his um, tooth cut my finger, cut into my finger and it hurt like hell and I still kept hitting him in the end It was um, Dave that grabbed me and and dragged me off him. I I didn't used to get emotional about many things in those days. I did a lot of things I'm not proud of. A lot of things I'm very embarrassed about these days. Look back on it. I mean, I I recently had a, a cancer scare because i found this lump in my neck and uh they immediately thought it was lymphoma uh because of the location of it and what it looked like and the you know um people were really upset and i i, I wasn't i wasn't upset at all because i think genuinely what comes around goes around and I think at some point divine fucking retribution is going to put me in the box what I did to him that day I'd never done before been in fights before and I never did it since I could have very happily carried on punching the guy till he stopped breathing. What he did to her was disgusting. What um what I felt being cons like that to almost believe in him made me disgusted in myself and why would I choose to believe him mad thing, don't understand it convincing liars it was a terrible, terrible thing I'm not sure really if I regret what I did to him. And at a rough guess, I'd say what I did to him was nothing compared to what Tommy did to him. But, um, it took a little while for the boys to, uh, Get past that as well. They were asking me if I was alright. After that. Fact is I wasn't. Fact is. I didn't sleep. I. Had insomnia for weeks. Ended up taking pills. All I could see was that girl in that flat getting that level of beating. And he was a psychopath. He fucking must have been. Somebody somebody had to take it. Somebody had to give him that Years afterwards, uh, we were talking about it years afterwards, and people often referred back to it, and they referred to me as the dark horse, you know, Jesus, you don't want to piss Ken off. Yeah, big brave Ken beating the fuck out of a guy who's tied to a chair, yeah. when we were talking about it afterwards I remember Dave saying do you know I think he expected it from Tommy and he expected it from us but he didn't expect it from you and I'm guessing that hurt him most anyway needless to say he was never heard of again Course he wasn't. Fucking boots of him be propping up all sorts of constructions. Now I'd imagine they didn't do it quickly either. She um She went off somewhere. If I remember correctly. Yeah. She she never Came out. I don't think I ever saw her again in public. Um, but with the scars. I guess I wouldn't. But um, I'm guessing. That she had a fuckload of plastic surgery. Uh, to get rid of what he'd done. But that M. That he carved into her. no matter how much plastic surgery you get mental scar of that is never going to leave you I fucking hate people to be a women it gave me a a hatred for it that was beyond the normal disgust that people feel when they see this on the TV again learned a lot about myself learned a little bit more about who i was and about who i should be <laughs> tommy was grateful having tommy on your side sometimes but it didn't help when it mattered and you nothing would but there you go and as for my cancer scare, well I don't know what it is it's a growth of some description feels like a fucking testicle in my neck feels like a spare ball it's growing on my lymph node They'll biopsy the fucker soon, and we'll find out what it is. Uh, but there's no cancer cells, there's no C cells in my blood, which means I haven't got cancer. Um, but it, it could be, you know, a tumour. But where it is, it means they can just cut the fucker out without causing a lot of damage. It's not exactly a brain tumour. Uh, in the same way that they could whop off one of your testicles, and you wouldn't even know it. <laughs> Not that I recommend that, <laughs> oh dear guys um I thank you for listening uh those people that have donated and you know who you are um, it's humbling for me to know that you enjoy them to the extent where you would put your hand in your own pocket. And it makes me feel good, and it, it inspires me. And trust me, all the money is going on equipment. Of which uh, I've got to get quite a bit. So, <laughs> as ever, uh, the fateful, I will see you on the dark side. You all take care now. system.